second lesson today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, during the season of Eastertide, which is where we are right now in the liturgical year. It's this time that stretches between the Sunday morning of Easter and Pentecost. We have a chance every year during this season to look at these stories that happen right after the resurrection. And it's really an important time within our liturgical year because these stories are very, very precious. And they're very, very important. In fact, these stories that we read during this season of church life, these are what will become the seed of the future church. These are the stories that will form and will feed and will nourish the disciples and the missionaries and all of the people that will go out into the many communities throughout the Mediterranean, these are the stories that they will tell. Now, keep in mind, none of those things have happened yet. So we, as you know, people that live in the 2000s, we have the opportunity to see how all of this unfolds within the scope of human history, but they don't. 
They're still figuring it out. None of what we know around the creeds and around the communities that have been built up and around the sanctuaries, none of that has happened yet. And they are still in this very, very tender moment where they are figuring things out. What the heck has happened? They've lost a friend. They've lost a rabbi. They've lost one of their deepest loved ones. And in the face of all of this, they are putting together what this will all mean for the future of the world. And so it's important for us to be able to walk through this very fragile, stable, but sort of fragile time within the life of the Christian church. And to recognize that post-resurrection time is not always full of trumpets and symbols and Easter lilies. In fact, there's a different part of resurrection that's very quiet and very tender and very slow. This is the space that is Eastertide. It's less about theology and mission, and it's more about the story of encounter. Because that's really all that matters, right? Theology and mission, none of that is going to matter unless the encounter matters. And so the question, the stories that happen post-resurrection are all about what it is like to come face-to-face with God. You can read them all yourself. They're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all of the stories will give you a different slice, a different perspective, a different way of looking at this same theme, which is what is it like to come face-to-face with God? Just you, just God. Just you, just Jesus. See, in all of these stories, they're very individual. They're very individual Later in Matthew, Jesus appears before a whole group of people. But if you go through those Gospels one by one, all of these encounter stories sort of hit people in their individual space. These are the stories that I call raw resurrection. The resurrection without the trumpets and the flowers and the triumphant celebration. But real, raw resurrection. They give us that glimpse into that face-to-face encounter with what it's like to actually meet the living God of the universe. And as I've been thinking about how, you know, I had this great opportunity this morning to chat with Helen's uh, daughters, and they were, this is not written down, by the way, Uh, And they were uh, sharing with me how important it was for her to come to church every Sunday. How that was part of her routine. And and she she never missed a Sunday because this was one of the this was one of the hinge pin, the whatever, the the linchpins of her life. You know, the, the, the places from which the rest of her life hinged around. And as I've been thinking about why that matters, you know, as we live in a culture where we continue to see churches close and and where we continue to see sanctuaries sort of not as full as they once were, why does that matter? Is it just the routine? 
You see, these are the questions of encounter that these first disciples were asking. Does this really matter? And what they eventually discovered was yes. That it's not about the convenience of a religious structure. This is not a religious structure, our text today. They had never seen anything like this before. That it's not about the convenience of an ethical framework to be able to hand, hand off to our children. This was not an ethical framework within our text today. They had an ethical framework. They had the whole institution of Judaism. They could have handed that off to their children. This was not about a good way for them to organize their lives. Even though religion, culture, structure, it is all those things. It's good. It's ethical. But the linchpin, the center, the reason why they went off into the Mediterranean to actually go do the work of sharing the story is because after Easter, they believed that they encountered the living reality of the person of Jesus Christ. That it wasn't just something that somebody else told them. But it was actually something, someone, that they encountered face-to-face, post-death, one-on-one. And that's the story of the resurrection. So yes, Helen came to church because of the routine. But she came to church because of the resurrection. That's why she is here. And that's why we are here. So today's encounter is one between Mary and Jesus. So she heads to the tomb with the disciples, they all go there together. But then after, she, after they leave, they go back home, she stays weeping. And she leans her head into that tomb, just wondering, she knows the body's not there, but she's trying to figure out where is he. And then she sees these two figures, angels, messengers, men. And she's not afraid. In other texts, when people see the angels, they sort of take a step back and they have some element of fear. But in this story, Mary's not afraid because she's desperate. She just wants to know where he is. And so she asks, can you tell me? Can you just tell me where you put him? I don't care that he's not in the tomb. Just tell me so that I can go to him. And of course, they don't say anything to her. And she takes a step back. And then she has the encounter. I want to talk just a little bit for just a second about what these post-resurrection encounters with Jesus are like. Because see, one of the errors that we've made within our tradition is that we've sort of imagined that the afterlife is simply a continuation of the life on earth as we know it. That our souls are sort of awakened into this space where we meet God face to face. And I'm not going to pretend like I know what things are like. But what I can tell you, 
And what we do see in Scripture is that the people who knew Jesus the best, the people who spent the last three years with him day after day after day, don't even recognize him. And that should give us some sort of insight into the idea that we do not know what this second life is going to be like. We do not know what we are going to look like. We do not know how we are going to encounter one another in that space. And so we shouldn't make projections or guesses about that. Because the people who actually witnessed the resurrection, they didn't just look at Jesus and say, oh my gosh, there he is. Three days, there he goes. They had no idea that they were standing in the presence of the living God. They had no idea. Because everything that happens after the resurrection is about this encounter of not just meeting Jesus the human, but of meeting the second person of the Trinity, the living God, the one who has transcended death. And that then takes on the character of revelation. And I don't mean the last book of the Bible. I mean actually the, the, the way that the human being can actually communicate with God as God's self. That's revelation. I'm not going to say any more about that, but I just want to make that distinguishment that they're not, they're not meeting Jesus. They're actually having Jesus reveal God's self to them in this post-resurrection reality. And so when Mary meets him, she doesn't know that it's Jesus. He has to speak. He has to say something. And he says to her, woman, why are you weeping? He knows why she's weeping. She's at the tomb. At his tomb. Second question, who are you looking for? She's at his tomb. Of course he knows who she's looking for. It's less about answering the question and more about providing the space for the encounter because that's what needs to happen. Jesus comes to her and gives her the space to encounter him. And so then she turns and says, Sir, where have you put him? If you've taken him away, let me know where so that I can go. And then there's the moment of clear revelation, of utter communication, of this sort of transparency between someone who has transcended death and someone who is still here on this side of eternity. And he says the word, Mary. Mary, that then becomes the moment. And then she knows. She knows that she has encountered the same one that she knew on the other side of history. And she says, Rabboni. He says, wait, don't touch me. I still have to go to my God and to your God, to my Father and to your Father. See, that encounter is now moving to bring Mary into that space where she will then not just know Jesus in that moment, but where she has the sort of the pathway into knowing him forever. 
He says her name. You know, people at Starbucks say our names all the time. You know, they never say it right, at least with my name. I don't know, you probably have a good name for that, but I don't. I always get, you know, Danny, D-A-N-N-Y, or Annie, or other things. Um, Most days our name gets tossed around in emails, assignments. We have sort of a running joke in our family with how many different ways our last name could be spelled on things that come in the mail. For bust, for kiss. All sorts of things. I know you guys have your own stories about that. We, we, we sort of, we should keep them going. You know, sort of collect all of these different names that come in the mail. Our names are called in the waiting room at doctor's offices and at restaurants. And you know, sometimes when we navigate all of those spaces where our names are, we forget that our names are actually meant to lead us to the place of encounter. Not to isolation, not to specific activity, but actually to encounter. That's what our names are for. You know, when we stand at that baptismal font and we hold that child or we take that adult, whoever it is, that sits and kneels before the waters, we say what? We say the name. The name. Not the last name. We say the first name. Because we are not known for what we accomplish. We are not known for our vocation. We are not known for what we do. We are known for who we are. So we take that name, Mary. And that's what Jesus does. He takes her name, Mary. He doesn't send her off, not yet. He doesn't say, Mary, remember this. Mary, go do this. Mary, don't do this. Eventually, he'll say that. But for now, it's just Mary. Just Mary. That's it. And here's the thing, friends. Here's what Helen knew. Here's what we know. Here's what our text tells us today. That to be known by God is to be loved by God. That they're the same thing. God knows us, therefore God loves us. Not God knows us, and in spite of that, God loves us. But to be known by God is to be loved by God. Because the knowing of God cannot be separate from the being of God, and the being of God is utter love. So when we are known by God, we are loved, and therefore we are known in love. Unfortunately, the great tragedy of our lives is that often we want to trade that being known And we want to trade it for other things, having power, having control, having our way. These are just some of the things that get in the way of being known. But friends, in our day and age, we are so desperate to be known and we are so ill-equipped to make that happen. What is social media if not an attempt to be known? 
You know? What is showing up if not attempt to be known? And the good news of the gospel is that God does know and love us. And however we've lost that ability to communicate that in our culture, friends, this is our chance. This is our day. This is our call to get that back. And to share with our friends and with our neighbors in our actions and in our words that to be known by God is to be loved by God. And that we come around this story week by week, not because it's a good idea or because we want to hang on to an old vestige of religious structure, but because the reality of the resurrection is true. It's the reality of raw resurrection power. It's real. It's for us. It's for Helen. It's for you. Mary. Helen. Danny. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we come before you in grief today. We so dearly love our sister, Helen. And yet, as we come to this story of you meeting Mary, we have so much hope. We thank you that Helen has the opportunity to meet you in that way. And we don't pretend to know what that's like. We recognize that it's a mystery. And yet, it's true. So Lord, as we go into the rest of our week, we ask that you would give us hope and strength by the power of the story, by the power of your resurrection. Raw resurrection power. In your name. Amen. Friends, let us stand.